There are various parts of the human anatomy uh, that we equate with beauty. Um, You may see someone who has beautiful eyes uh, by the color of their eyes or the sparkle in their eye. You may look at their face, their countenance, their smile. Uh, You may look at someone's hands and think, oh, they they have beautiful hands. Uh, Then there are other parts of the body that we almost never associate with beauty. Uh, Actually, the Apostle Paul, when he was talking about the church, talked about various parts of the body. And he said, basically, uh, the the parts that are presentable are the least useful parts. And then some of the parts that are not presentable uh, are are some of the most useful parts that we have. And uh, so this morning, I I wanted us to to talk about a particular part of our body uh, that we may not always associate with beauty, but the Bible does, both in the Old and the New Testament. It talks about... About the beauty of this body part, and that is your feet. Now, there are lots of, lots of adjectives you might put with feet, uh, but let me just give you some facts about your feet that you may not know. Uh, here are some facts about the human foot. Your foot contains 26 bones and has 33 joints, more than 100 tendon, tendons, muscles, and ligaments. Your foot is an engineering masterpiece. God designed your foot to carry you and hold you and move you, and it is a marvel and a wonder. But here's something else about your foot uh, that may explain a lot, especially about some of the odors in my house. The foot, each one, has a whopping 250,000 sweat glands in it. Yep, that's that's some smell right there for you. Now, here's an interesting thing about feet. Do you know that one to two children out of every thousand children born are born with an extra toe on each foot. Now, I asked in the early service, I just said, anybody in here born with an extra toe? And there was somebody in the room who had been born with an extra toe. Anybody in here born with an extra toe? Just be, be proud of it now. You're, you're one in a thousand. Nobody in here. All right, well, we had somebody in the early service. Here's another interesting thing, if you can believe it. E! News, uh, which I'm sure is a viable source for all information, E! News says that Halle Berry was born with an extra toe on her foot. And, and it, also, it also says that Marilyn Monroe had six toes. Now, people have disputed that, and the only way that they'd ever find out is that they did an exhumation, and nobody's willing to do one, but that's the rumor anyway. So one and of, of two out of children out of a thousand are born with an extra toe. The average American foot has grown by one whole shoe size in the past 30 years, according to the National Shoe Retailers Association. And if you can believe this or not, there is actually a society for barefoot living. The, these folks believe that shoes are doing damage uh, to the human foot and uh, human wellness and that we should just all get rid of all of our shoes and go around barefoot everywhere we go. So, so here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're beginning a new series uh, that's going to look at a verse in the Bible that describes feet as beautiful. Beautiful feet. What does it take to have beautiful feet? And I'm not talking about uh, getting a pedicure or going to a podiatrist or anything like that. What does the, why would the Bible describe something in our body that so often we don't association with, associate with beauty? Why would it describe it as beautiful both in the Old and the New Testament? If you have a Bible, I invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you are not often in church, it may be one that sounds familiar to you uh, because it's one that we go to often. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, here's what Paul says. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, okay, track the body parts here. There's one body part. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, there's another body part, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, if, if you could simplify the message of the gospel to one sentence, there it is. It's just that simple. doesn't mean it's easy, but it is simple. If you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And then he goes on. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Paul is giving the basic message of the gospel. And what he is saying in this passage is, it is not by your works. It's not by the things that you do. He didn't even mention hands, did he? It's not by the things that you do, your, your, your religious activities, your acts of service, your acts of kindness. It's not even by your religion. He didn't mention the brain at all, did he, or the mind. See, it's not just about having a right religion, right religious practices. And it's not even about your family heritage. He, he said it's neither Jew nor, nor Greek. He, says, he said it's not about where you came from, what family you were born into, what color your skin is, what language you speak, what your religious background is, what country you are from. It is not about those things. This is an issue of the heart. What you believe in your heart, not just think in your head, and what you confess with your mouth. And so as Christians, which I know many of us here today are Christians, we hear this passage of scripture and we are tempted to think, okay, that is great. We got it. It's simple. That's good. That message is for people who are not Christians. Now, let's move on. But I want to remind you that Paul is writing this message not to non-believers. He was writing this message to a group of Christians, reminding them of the simplicity of the gospel message. He, He wanted to remind them of the truths that many of us have forgotten. And that is this. As simple as the message is, someone had to tell it to you. There had to be someone who would share this message. Even as simple as it is, you wouldn't have known it unless somebody shared it with you. Look what he says as we go on, verse 13. How then can they call upon the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? Now we've introduced the ear, haven't we? The heart, the mouth, the ear. How can, they, how can they call on one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, what is Paul saying? Is Paul saying that all human feet are beautiful? It's not what he's saying. He's saying that the beauty of the messenger is found in the beauty of the message. And that even the least attractive part of a messenger bearing good news is beautiful to the one who benefits from that message. 
that the, the feet of a messenger who brings the good news are beautiful feet, not because the feet themselves are beautiful, but because the message that they carry is so powerful and so essential and so beautiful. Paul is emphasizing the importance of sending people out with the message of the gospel. That they must be sent. It does involve your heart to believe, your mouth to confess. But it also requires someone to use their ears to listen. And if they're going to hear, it's going to require the feet of someone sent to carry the gospel message. The primary function of feet is mobility. The primary function of feet is for you to be able to move. This is, after all, the very first challenge Jesus gave to his disciples. So, so each week we're going to take a, a look at what does the Bible teach us about having beautiful feet. So this week I want to look at Jesus' call to the disciples because this was the very first call that he issued to them. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. If you've already found Romans, go to the left all the way back to the beginning of the New Testament. And then you'll find Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 beginning in verse 18. As Jesus issues his call to his disciples. While walking, there it is if you missed it, Jesus is walking. He's using his feet. By walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Jesus' first words to the disciples, required them to move their feet. Follow me. The first characteristic of beautiful feet on the back of your program this morning, if you care to keep notes and keep up with us from week to week, we'll add a new characteristic. But this week, the characteristic of beautiful feet is that beautiful feet follow Jesus. Beautiful feet follow Jesus. And what was the purpose of Jesus issuing This call to his disciples. Because he could have said anything. Jesus could have said, follow me and I will make you great theologians. Follow me and I will make you compassionate people. Follow me and I will give you the power to perform miracles. Follow me and I will give you the power to restore broken relationships. Follow me, and I will make you a better husband. Follow me, I will make you a better wife. Jesus could have said, follow me, and anything after it, but it wasn't what he said. He didn't say, follow me, and I will make you smarter. Follow me, and I will make you better. It, it, it's, it's, anything, it's nothing like that. It, it was something that we weren't already wanting. It was to do something that we wouldn't otherwise do. Look at the rest of the verse. Matthew 4, 19. Follow me, read it with me, and I will make you fishers of men. He called his followers to be fishers of men. Followers of Jesus are fishers of men. Say that with me. Followers of Jesus are fishers of men. It's the first thing he said to them. If you're going to follow after me, This is what's going to happen to you. I am going to make you a fisher of men. So often, we want to make that the last thing we do as Christians and not the first thing. We think that somehow we have to attain some amount of knowledge, some amount of scripture memory, some amount of presentation skills, so that some some amount of theological training so that we can be effective. And Jesus didn't say that. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. To follow is to fish. There is no way... 
hear me, church. There is no way to be a disciple of Jesus without becoming a fisher of men. It's impossible. Because Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Therefore, if you follow Jesus, he is true to his word and he will make you that. Look what happened next in verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets. He's talking about Andrew and Peter here. They left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, this seems like something in the story may be missing because nobody becomes a Christian because they want to be fishers of men. None of us signed up for Christianity because we wanted to go out and share our faith with other people. We all come to faith for selfish reasons. Maybe it's as simple as the difference between heaven and hell. And so somehow you believe, well, Jesus is the ticket out of one and into the other. And therefore, I'm going to get my ticket. But isn't that a selfish motive? That, that I want salvation, therefore I will follow after Jesus. It's a good reason, but it's a selfish one, isn't it? Or we say, I'm going to come to Jesus because my marriage is falling apart. And maybe if I begin to walk with Christ, something about my life will change, something about my marriage will change. It's a good reason, but it's a selfish reason. We need God to fix something inside of our lives. See, selfishness defines our spiritual life. We come to God, we say, God, help me. God, fix me. God, give me. God, feed me. We come to Jesus for what he can do for us, for what he has done for us. And there was no, this was no different from these four guys. See, these four guys first encountered Jesus before he issued this call to leave their nets and to follow him. It happens in, in Luke chapter 5. We'll not go there now, but, but let me just remind you of the story of what happened. So, so they're out fishing. They've been fishing all night because that's when they catch the best fish. But as was sometimes the case when you go fishing, they had had an unproductive evening. They hadn't caught anything all night long. And they were preparing to come back in and they were going to do all the things that fishermen would do to clean their nets and clean the boat. And, and, and they were tired and ready to go to bed. And, and G- here's Jesus walking by. And Jesus looks out and, and says, hey, did you catch anything? And I imagine Peter's like, who is this smart guy? You know, I mean, you've been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. And, and, and so they answer no. And what Jesus says to them, Jesus says, why don't you try again? Try again. And so they go back out. Even though they didn't want to, they go back out and they try again. And they catch such a huge catch of fish that they can't even bring it in. And so two other brothers, uh, Zebedee's two boys, they take their boat out and they help them and they bring in this huge collection of fish. I mean, it's more fish than they've ever collected ever before. Their dads are absolutely thrilled. I mean, this is a productive, what was going to be a very unproductive night is suddenly completely and totally productive. They had caught nothing. Jesus told them to try again. They did. And suddenly they had something. So when Jesus comes back by later and says, hey, boys, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I imagine their dads were like, boys, you better get moving. You need to follow that guy. Why? Because they had seen Jesus do something for them, that they had seen the power of Jesus. And so they were willing to follow him. But it's often motivated out of the temporary, isn't it? Because weren't all those fish just eventually going to rot away? Even the nets that they were trying to mend and maintain would eventually decay and they would be destroyed. 
As important as the fishing industry was to feed their families and feed the community, it, it is a temporary thing. And, and so, so, so many times the impact of our temporary experience can have eternal significance on our lives and on the lives of other people. If we will only answer Jesus' call to come and follow him, he takes what is temporary in our lives and uses it for the eternal. This is true for you. You, you may not be able to believe this today, but everything about your earthly existence is temporary. Your job is temporary. I mean, you may, you may keep your career until you retire or you're physically no longer able to do it, but there will come a time when your job will end. It's temporary. You may be committed in your marriage relationship till death do us part, but death will eventually come and your marriage is temporary. Every relationship we have, everything we do is temporary. And Jesus says, let me take let me take what is temporary in your life, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, your, your fishing, the skills, the experience that you have, and let me turn that from something temporary into something eternal. See, we're so often concerned with the temporary, but even while it is important, it will all end. It only has value between our birth and our death, and Jesus says, Follow me, and I will take what is temporary in your life, and I will give it eternal significance. Because I'm concerned with your eternal existence. Jesus brings eternal value out of our temporary existence if we're willing to follow him and become fishers of men. See, you are uniquely positioned because of your experience, because of your background, because of your education, even because of your suffering and your pain, because of your careers, because of your hobbies, all of these temporary things have perfectly positioned you to be effective for the purpose that Jesus has for your life to be a fisher of men. All of us. And so if you spent your life in the medical community, God has positioned you temporarily in hospitals, and doctor's offices, for the purpose of what? For the purpose of tending a body that will someday die? No. For, for the purpose of bringing healing, eternal healing, to the souls of the people that you serve there. And so, so your, your position may be a teacher, and you may teach a student for nine months from the beginning of the school year to the end of the school year, but that student will leave, and, and, and education will only be temporary. They someday, hopefully, Hopefully someday our kids will finish school. But it's temporary. But if you're a teacher, Jesus says, let me, let me take your temporary position as a teacher and give it eternal value as you invest into the lives of the boys and the girls and the parents that come into your classroom. I can take what is temporary and give it eternal value if you will follow me. But we don't recognize it that way, do we? We don't see that. We, we don't understand how God can take what is temporary and use it for eternal. And so we come up with excuses. And we say, well, I, I think that, Gary, you have an advantage over me because you're a preacher. If I were a preacher, I'd be out being a fisher of men doing just what Jesus said. And that's, that's your excuse. You know what my excuse is? My excuse is that I'm a preacher. And so I can't be as effective as you can. Because I work in a building with a bunch of people who are Christians. At least I think they're all Christians. 
And, and so, so I look at you and I look at your life as you go about and your day-to-day opportunities, and I think, wow, what a great opportunity you have. While you're looking at me and thinking, well, if I did what he did, I'd be a fisher of men too. Or we have other excuses. We, think, we hear somebody with an incredible story of transformation. They, they went from being one who was uh, maybe suffered with addictions or they had gone through a hard time and God did a radical transformation. We think, well, if I had a story like that, I'd be effective. That person with the messed up story looks at you and says, well, if my story were perfect and as, as, as seamless as yours, I'd be more effective. We say, well, if I were younger, well, if I were older, well, if I were retired, well, if I were working, we always have excuses. But notice what Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. See, it's a passive part. Our role is passive. Our role is to get on our feet and follow Jesus. And Jesus is the one who makes us fishers of men. See, it's not a methodology. It's a process. And it's not even an active one. It's one that is done to us. Jesus wasn't primarily interested in teaching, but in transforming his followers into fishers of men. And it's the difference between something you do and someone you are. It's the difference between uh, memorizing a script and telling a story. See, this is what it means to have beautiful feet. Beautiful feet follow Jesus, and people who follow Jesus are fishers of men. And I know so often we want to make that so complicated and we want to come up with excuses and and we want to talk about all the reasons why we can't in our culture and in our society. But I'm, I'm telling you, this is the first call that Jesus gave to his disciples and it's the first call that he gives to us. And everything else is an excuse on our part. And so here's what we want to do at Southside Baptist Church. We want to help you. We want to help you in that. First of all, we believe that the closer you follow Jesus, we we believe that Jesus will do the transformative work in making you a fisher of men. That that Jesus will work in you and through you in ways that you can't explain or understand. But we know how intimidating it can be, and we want to help you understand how simple it is. So for the next five weeks, each week as you come back, we're going to talk about our feet and what the Bible says our feet are supposed to do in order to, in order to aspire to, uh, to the adjective of beautiful. And, and so each week we're going to give you another thing that feet do. But we're also going to open up homes throughout our city. Many of you ha- have agreed to have a home-based grow group. And, and we want you to come beginning on March the 16th, March the 16th, to be a part of one of these home groups where together we're just going to talk about some simple and practical ways that you can share your story and you can follow Jesus and be fishers of men. On your bulletin this morning, uh, on the front cover there where you fill out your prayer requests and your information, there's a place for you to mark that you would like to be a part of one of these home grow groups. If you will fill that out, we will be in touch with you and let you know where there is a home close by that you uh, can be a part of to be in one of these grow groups. Fill that out this morning and place it in the offering plate when it comes by. We also have a book available in our media center uh, that's based on the material you'll be using in these grow groups called Walk Across the Room. The idea that the sim- it's as simple as getting on your feet and moving across the room to engage with people who need to hear the story of the gospel. So we want you We want you over these next few weeks uh, to be engaged and and to learn what it means to become fishers of men. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, 
you, you might hear this message and think, this is exactly why I'm not a Christian. And you, you might have heard this in a way that this, this may seem pushy or that Christians think they're better than you. Let me tell you that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Actually, the reason this is so important is because we as Christians have been so blessed and touched and transformed and changed by the message of the gospel that how could we not want to share it with other people who need it? See, see this, is, this is an issue of us saying, let us share with you something that has changed us for the better. And if anything, if a Christian approaches you and says, can I tell you my story? Can I tell you what Jesus did for me? You should think to yourself, wow, they must think a lot of me to want to share something so powerful with me. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Beautiful feet follow Jesus. People who follow Jesus are fishers of men. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning as we um, come to your word and hear the simple and beautiful message of the gospel, I'm reminded that even in its simplicity, it is not easy. And so, Lord, as a church and as people, those of us who have been changed because we heard the story of the gospel, I pray that we would indeed answer Jesus' call and follow him and allow him to transform us into fishers of men. Lord, that we would be faithful in our generation, in our culture, to carry the message of hope, of love, of peace, of forgiveness, of mercy. Father, I pray that you would help us overcome our fear. I, hope, I pray that you would help us to overcome it, the obstacles that uh, we think have been set before us. And, and Lord, there have always been obstacles. It's always been hard. But I pray, Father, that over the course of the next days and weeks and months, as we, as we just talk about what it means to have beautiful feet, that you will touch our hearts and that you will change us into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this gathering that we have today, an opportunity to worship in spirit and in truth. And for those who are here today, who hear this message, Lord, from the outside listening in, Lord, I pray that they have heard a message of love and compassion and concern, and that maybe that message in itself would be enough to say, I want to follow Jesus. Lord, we invite you to move in this time of invitation. You, Lord, we invite to touch us and to change us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.